You don't even like sports. Welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports, a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. Oh, Jeff, is that you? Yeah, Adam. Jeff? Hey, it's me. It's me, Jeff May from Jeff May from podcast from podcasting and mostly the internet. Yeah. Oh, it's funny because I wanted to tell you something now that I have you here. It's that you love don't things. even like sports. No, 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 that's not true. It you, sounded like you were about you're to say, a liar. It, it sounded like you were about to say you love sports, which I said, I love things, which sports is one of those things. Mm, I don't know that it is one of those things you love. Hey, everybody. Welcome to you don't even like sports. Yeah. The podcast for about sports for people like Adam who don't like sports. Wow. That is hateful and rude and you're fired. This is, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. But we do need to finish this podcast and like several after this, but then shit canned, buddy. A couple more seasons at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How's it it going? Good. Lots going on. We are in a transitional period right now with sports. We are about to enter what we refer to as the, uh, the golden era, right? There's like a golden pocket of sports. Yeah. Where you're like, you know, it's like football's going on. You're in the baseball uh, postseason. I believe hockey is starting like basketball starting. Yeah. When's basketball starting? Uh, The end of October. So we have full overlap, right? Yes. Yes. There's a there are very small pockets where there is a full overlap. And I think it's like the end of October, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like even even tennis is still kind of going like their majors season is over, but. There's always tennis happening. Yeah, you're not going to not do your sport. Right. So, yeah, we're just talking about a bunch of news stories. This would normally be a bonus episode, but what we're doing, just to kind of buy me and Jeff some time to record the next official season of You Don't Even Like Behind the scene on that one, huh? Yeah, exactly. You're like, we're we're, we're stalling. We're stalling. Well, no, what we're doing is we're putting out a bonus season of You Don't Even Like Sports. Six episodes that are stuff we've recorded just for subscribers over the past few years. And speaking of those subscribers, as we record the Andre Agassi season, they'll be able to hear it as each episode is done. But people who are listening for free, oh, you're going to have to wait. But you do get this bonus episode season while you wait. And hey, you could always subscribe at patreon.com slash unpops and hear that Andre Agassi season in progress. And honestly, you should, because, hi, that's we, $5, you know? Yeah, and, you know, we could use the support. We could always yeah. use the support. Your yeah. one small $5 is a lot of $5 is to us. Yes, yes. And so, hey, enjoy this bonus season of You Don't Even Like Sports and this bonus episode today where we are talking about just kind of general sports. Like the months in sports. Yeah, like a, a general sports roundup, but yeah. featuring stories that I think will still be interesting to non-sports fans. Maybe not all of them, but... Well, we're here to make them interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're telling you these stories, so that part is going to be just... It's kind of the crux of the podcast, really. So our first bit of sports news isn't really sports news. It's more me and Jeff went out and had fun news. That's a sport. That having fun, it's a sport to us. We were hunting for sport. Yeah, partying is our sport. We went to the Burbank Card Show in, in Anaheim? Anna, in Anaheim. 
Yeah. For those of you that don't know geograph, uh, geography, geographics, not a thing. If you don't know the geography of the Los Angeles uh, metro area, Anaheim is a good hour and change away from Burbank. Um, yeah. Turns out Burbank card show too big for any of the locations in Burbank. Yeah. And probably Anaheim. the I'm assuming like the L.A. Convention Center is probably cost prohibitive because it's pretty I think big. so, because I know that WonderCon moved to Anaheim and then one year they tried doing it in LA and they fucked off too. So like, Oh yeah. I think, I think the LA convention center is a relatively prohibitive um, location yeah, to I rent out. Yeah, so it, I think they're going to go back to Ontario, but yeah. So we met, we, we are about equidistant from Anaheim. Sure. Right. A good hour and change. We met on the Saturday, which is the big day. Right. And it was, woof. it was a bit of a fiasco getting there. I, yeah, your Uber driver just like abandoned you. Yeah, my Uber driver dropped me at Anaheim City Hall instead of the Anaheim Convention Center, which was He's a like, mere. The mayor's going to want to hear about this card show, <laughs> which was a mere three miles away. So I had to wait for Jeff to get to town to pick me up, and then that three mile drive to find parking took about an hour. It felt like because traffic. To be fair, we we did also take a timeout for carl's jr <laughs> yeah we did take a carl's jr break which, which you should be doing at all times and it was a, a good call because food not readily available inside the convention center they had trucks outside but yeah also there was like a triple nerd convention thing going on where there was an anime con a sports card show a sneakerhead show and then just like a secret bodybuilding competition <laughs> Yeah, the bodybuilding competition was a surprise because we saw the signs for the anime convention and the sneaker expo where I was like, oh, shit, is all of that happening right now? Sure is. But then we had to go find cash because baseball card Wait, dealers they, are a shady bunch. Yeah, they do not want the government involved in their cardboard rectangle transactions. No. So we had to go get cash and we walked through a hotel to find an ATM and bodybuilding competition happening we walked in on a photo shoot of a sexy bodybuilder yeah yeah it was like we walked it was like in, in just like a this like a back it was like a hallway we walked into a hotel hallway and sure as shit there was just like a like a hot buff chick in a bikini flexing in front of like a like a school pictures background yeah it seemed like not your traditional bodybuilding competition because like it wasn't that thing where it's like, oh, those muscles are huge. Also, you look grotesque. It's fo It was form. I think that's what yeah. they call it, like body shape or something like that. Because, like, even the dudes just look like, I don't know, defensive looked, backs or something. They looked great. Yeah, they yeah. all just looked great. Um, but I definitely like the what the fuck are you doing here energy to seeing us walk through. We're like, well, that door was unlocked. <laughs> yeah. And this is a hallway for walking. So we got to the card show kind of late. Yes. All things considered. And that's a problem. We're not going to do that again. Um, because not, not go to a card show. We, we're going to go to a, another card of show. Of course, of course. There's one in Palm Springs this weekend, by the way. But so this is one of those scenarios where, you know, we went there and it, we, we had to learn how to do a correct pace because I think it took us like nearly an hour to get through like the first column and a half of tables. Yeah. And to which we then sort of both independently realized we got to fucking be a little more skimmy and a little less dive through every boxy because yeah, woof. 
We each had um, moments though where we got caught. Oh yeah, just doing a deep dive into one single box. Yeah, and I I tended to be more on like the non sports. Like I found like a Marvel cards guy. Like I found stuff that was really interesting. What yeah. did you end up buying? Like what did you end up walking away with? Well, I ended up buying a Justin Fields rookie card. Like immediately when we walked in, I found mm-hmm. a Justin Fields rookie that was actually very reasonably priced. I didn't even bicker with him over the price. I just paid the 10 bucks for it. At least it was reasonably priced before the Bears first game this season. <laughs> now it's probably gone down in value because Justin Fields played like shit. I got a couple Evan Mobley rookie cards. I did negotiate on those a little bit. And uh, I was, anyone who had Michael Jordan stuff, I was I was checking that out. Yeah, you got some good, like, little weird Jordan cards, huh? Yeah, I got this one Jordan card. It's, I believe, a 98 upper deck. And I bought it solely because the picture on it is cool as shit. He's doing, like, a reverse dunk. And it was in really good shape. So I bought that. And then I bought, like, 20 of these, or 25 of these upper deck Michael Jordan stickers that I first thought were mini cards. You were like, check out these mini cards I got. I was like, I think these are stickers. And you're like, I'm pretty sure I know what a sticker is. Yeah, they were, they were definitely stickers, but still cool. No, they were really cool. Like some, I actually don't hate the idea of stickers as far as like being a collectible. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, it's not the trading card. Well, who gives a shit? Well, not just that, but if you get a sticker, like if you get a sticker graded and it's like a PSA 10, that's rare as shit because stickers yeah. don't handle wear and tear the way cards do. Correct. But this set, it turns out there's like, cause at first I was like, Oh shit, I'm going to try and maybe I'll buy some boxes and try to collect all of these. There are, I think 150 stickers in that set. And there's someone on eBay selling complete sets for like 50 bucks. So I'll probably just take the easy route and buy one yeah, and just keep it to look at. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the cool, the cool thing to go. I, um, so was that, was that pretty much the, and we also, we got some packs yes. to open for the next, you don't even like sports cards. Um, we got some, some blaster packs for relatively cheap. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I did buy that tops heritage box for 15 bucks and there's a reason it was 15 bucks. That set fucking sucks. Yeah. I got nothing yeah. from that. And that, oh, and there was the Zion Williamson thing. On the way out, there was this table that had a wheel. You, you give him five bucks, you can spin this wheel, and whatever <laughs> lands on, you win. And I did it one time, landed on the grand prize, and got a Zion Williamson Funko Pop that also comes with a gigantic Zion Williamson pris, Panini Prism basketball card. And that was cool. But also, as soon as they handed it to me, they replaced it with, with a LeBron. LeBron James. And it's like, I'd kind of rather have LeBron. If you you should have just been like, hey, can I get the LeBron instead? You know what I should have done was ask if I could swap it out on the condition that I just like give them another five bucks to spin the wheel again. Like, I'm sure they would have gone for that, but it's fine. It was yeah, Zion Williamson. It's all it's all junk plastic and, and yeah. cardboard. You know, like we try not to take this too seriously. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I found uh, I found some stuff that was kind of interesting. I I found I think the the two cards that I was really the happiest getting was I bought an autographed superstar Billy Graham card from the WWE. Oh yeah, and you were like, "That's a weird thing. I've never heard you bring that up." And like, he just died. 
Like he had just died. And I think they wanted, the guy wanted 25 for it. And so I was like, would you do 20? And the guy's like, no. And I was like, sold. (laughs) (laughs) I bought that. So I got the superstar Billy Graham. I also got something that I was actually looking for and was unbelievably excited to find, which was um, there's these, uh, the top 70, you know what that is? No. Artists do their renditions of trading cards. Of classic tops trading cards. Yeah, this was a cool card that you found. Now, one of my favorite artists alive is a guy named Alex Pardee, P-A-R-D-E-E. If you ever follow me on social media, I wear a lot of his shirts. I buy buy his Comic-Con exclusive shirts, and he does the top 70. There was a Shohei Otani by Alex Pardee, and I'm fascinated by both of those human beings. So I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm not going to get this. What's the image on it? It was it's like, like him. So uh, Alex Party's really good at doing like grotesque body horror stuff, like a mix of like Carpenter meets Cronenberg right. in the style. So it's like it's got Shohei Otani holding like getting ready to pitch. But on the back, there's like a little like basket case style conjoined monster twin holding a bat getting ready to bat. Yeah. Um, and that's just cool. Yeah, it's really fucking cool. I found a guy who was dealing Marvel Masterpieces and bought my favorite Marvel Masterpiece card of all time, which was a domino from Marvel Masterpieces Series 2. Just I bought little stupid things and then packs of cards to open with you. But it was so fun. It was very fun, yeah. It was something where I was just like, this is, this is the best. Yeah. This is just the best. It was a lot of walking, but... Yeah, I wasn't which that's that. not so bad. Yeah, walking is good for you. It was fun. Yeah, it was a whole yeah. lot of fun. And uh, we'll we'll go to more. I really want to go to the National next year. Yeah, where is it again? Cleveland, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's in Chicago in 2025. But oh, okay. yeah, it was in Chicago last year too. Or the last year meeting it, this year. Yeah. Well, this year it was in Texas. The National? No, I think it was in Chicago. Yeah. L- let's... Sounds like you might not even like sports cards, if I recall correctly. I thought it was in... Um, Rosemont, Illinois. It was in Rosemont. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, is that the Rosemont Horizon? Might be. That's where I, w- I went to my first or my second big comic book convention was in Rosemont. That's where Scotty Pippen used to pack a fucking gun driving to the stadium. That's when- where Scotty Pippen used to that, boy, that haunting voice. He's got a voice like a haunted house. He's a haunted person. That's drinking scotch at 7 a.m. Yeah, that ESPN interview. Oh, man, Scotty Pippen. What a character. But it, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. I liked the idea of we we tend to do mostly packing, pack breaking and, and buying packs and, and stuff like that. So it was fascinating to me that you get to really find a concentration of your individual interests. Yeah, it was a lot like being on eBay, but in person. Yeah. Because I guarantee a lot of those people also sell on eBay. And that's a thing I've been doing more recently as opposed to, I mean, I still buy boxes every once in a while. But you can also like, you know, do a little hunting on eBay and find stuff for like 2 and $3 and, you know, sit on it. Maybe it'll go up. If it doesn't, you only spent 2 or $3. You'll be fine. Hey, sit on it. Speaking of money, one thing I found shocking at the Burbank card show was the sheer amount of people who would just have stacks of $100 bills on display as if to say, we pay cash for whatever you're selling. And it's like, cool, but you can also put up a sign and run way less risk of being robbed. Like, do you remember that? Yeah. 
There What's was, the fun in that though? Yeah, there was like one woman. She had it had to be like twenty or like, thirty thousand dollars. Just there was a lot of money spread. It might have been twenties or or tens inside the middle, because I know there was one that had stacks. Yeah, and but yeah, it was woof. I remember you actually said to her, "Are you trying to get robbed in the parking lot?" And her son was like, "I've told her. I've told her." And it's like that is gonna happen by us. Well, I mean, she's in L.A. for one thing, like Anaheim, Anaheim. Sure. But this is a that's actually a swingers reference I just made, by the way. Oh, I grew up in L.A. Anaheim. Yeah, they are different. That's a completely different county. But this is a region where follow home robberies have been happening at an alarming rate where someone will see you out, see that you have some shit they want. And instead of confronting you in public. They will follow you home and then rob you in your fucking driveway. To, to be fair, the amount of money running around in plastic and cardboard also was pretty high. Yes. You could have robbed anybody there. There are kids, kids with briefcases running around. Yeah. With like all their valuable cards and shit. And you're like, I can fuck this kid up. And then I'd be running around in fucking NBA rookie cards or whatever. Yeah. You wouldn't even have to fuck them up. You could just be like, give me that. Yeah, right. I'm bigger than I'm going to take it. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll probably rob some kids next time we go to a baseball card show. That was a missed opportunity. But, you and know. And a good team building exercise for next time. Yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty. you know. So, Which is what those kids will never get to be. <laughs> so, should we talk about another sports story? This one? Yeah. Near and dear to my heart. Coco Goff won the U.S. Open. Fun fact, Coco Ooh. Goff, first. Is she the first professional player? I ever saw in person. It's either her or Daniil Medvedev because they played the first day I went to the U.S. Open. They didn't play each other. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, but they played in separate matches. And uh, Coco Golf just won the U.S. Open. Also, now. the cover model of the first comic book you bought. I mean, it's not the first comic book I've ever bought, but it's the well, first. like in the modern era. Yeah, it's the first comic book book I bought in adulthood. Jeff got it graded for me. 9.6 backwards. That's a 6.9, baby. Woo. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coco Golf is on the cover of an Invincible Iron Man comic book that someone I saw listed on eBay for $299 after she won the U.S. Open. And the listing right above it is just the book for like 34 from the place you can just buy it from <laughs> freely. It's like, do your research, you idiot. But uh, Coco Golf. This is huge for American tennis. Her win made her the first American to win a Grand Slam title since Sophia Kennan in 2020, which... It's been a while. Yeah. A three-year drought. That's a stretch. She's also the youngest winner of the U.S. Open since Serena Williams won it at the age of 17 in 1999. Coco Goff is 19. Who's Was the record holder Capriati? Um, I don't know. Or did know. she not make it? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I know she played really young, but I don't know. Yeah, she, she went pro at fourteen. Yeah, well, Coco Golf went pro at like fifteen, I think, because she yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, very famously beat Venus Williams at Wimbledon in two thousand nineteen when she was, I think, fifteen. God, she's a little baby. She is, and she is dominating now. It was also a good U.S. Open for American men's tennis, but there were three men who made the. The quarterfinals, Taylor Fritz, who I love calling Frailer Tits, uh, Francis Tiafo, and Ben Shelton all made the quarterfinals. 
And it's crazy how different those three names are. What do you mean? Like, if you look at those three names, you're like, those people would not hang out because they're just so drastically different. Ben Shelton made the semifinals also. Oh, good for him. Where he was. You go, Glenn Ben Coco. He was absolutely smoked by Novak Djokovic, who we'll talk about in a minute. But Coco Goff, like, I know people aren't going to like this, but I feel like a lot of the credit for her recent success has to go to her new coach. Coach, Coach Goff. (laughs) After Wimbledon, she hired a guy named Brad Gilbert as her new coach. And the thing about Brad Gilbert is he was Andre Agassi's coach. And Agassi won two U.S. Open titles along with several other major championships. And his wig guy. (laughs) Also, he coached Andy Roddick. And Andy Roddick is the last American male player to win the U.S. Open. That was in 2003. Stifler looking ass. Yeah. Looks like Stifler and looks like Arena Sabalenka, who uh, we'll also talk about in a second. And Brad Gilbert had all of these offers to come out of retirement to coach. Like, he hasn't coached since, like, the mid-2000s, I think. And he was doing commentary work for the Tennis Channel, and he had all these coaching offers, and he was like, nah, I'm waiting for the right player. And then he gets this offer from Coco Goff, and he's like, that is the right player. Yep. And the thing about it is since she hired Brad Gilbert, she's won three of her last four tournaments, and has lost exactly one match, which was the finals of the Canadian Open, which she lost to her doubles partner, Jessica Pagula. I mean, could be worse. Yeah. And so, like, that's not to take anything away from Coco Goff. She is a phenomenal talent, and that is why Brad Gilbert wanted to coach her. But she was very much before this in that class of American tennis players where I kind of put Jessica Pagula also. Where, mm-hmm. yeah, you're ranked in the top 10, but once you hit like a number one or number two ranked player, you're, you're going to lose. Like that was Coco Golf for a long, long time. Case in point, Iga Swiatek, who held mm-hmm. the world number one ranking for the longest amount of time of any player. It's uh, like the Hulk Hogan of, of tennis. Yeah, like I think close to 80 weeks or something like that. Jesus. She and Coco Goff had played seven times prior to this year, and Coco Goff had never won a set. She not just had never beat her, she had never even won a set. She lost 14 sets in a row to Iga Swiatek. And then this year, in one of the tournaments she won, she fucking wrecked Swiatek in, I think, the semifinals. And that's when I was like, oh, things are different now. Coco Goff yeah. is different. That's what happens when you can harness the talent. You know, and yeah, ever since then, she's just like she went from being a really good tennis player to being like unstoppable. That's kind of like the way I compare that would be like Mike Tyson with Customato. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, yes, this is a raw once in a lifetime talent. And look at how it can be shaped with the right coach. Yeah. Yeah. He's like Brad Gilbert is like it reminds me kind of like Theo Epstein energy. Because like Theo God, Epstein, yeah, we really liked him. Yeah, Theo Epstein, he was a, a baseball executive. And the thing about him is, first, he was GM for Jeff's Boston Red Sox. He did okay for us. He did okay in that he ended a damn near century long, was it more than 100 years drought? It was 86 years. 86 years without the Red Sox winning a World Series. 
They win one shortly after hiring Theo Epstein. And then he bolts from the Red Sox and joins the Cubs. And I was like, oh, are we about to win a World Series? And yeah, we did. We sure did. Yeah, he's like, my job here is done. And he phased out like Spock. Yeah. And like Theo Epstein will probably be in the Baseball Hall of Fame someday just for that. Just You'd you'd really hope so. Yeah. And Brad Gilbert's kind of the same way. Like, he fucking wins U.S. Opens. Like, if he's your coach, you're going to win the goddamn U.S. Open. And he proved it with Coco Goff again this time. We should get him as our coach so we can win a U.S. Open. Our podcast coach. I don't know. I was thinking just tennis, but maybe a podcast coach. Or our pickleball coach. There's a big pickleball facility going up on Third Street Promenade. Of course there is. Yeah. And finally, finally, a long lasting sport that people aren't going to forget about nearly immediately. (laughs) Certainly not the curling of the modern era. No, no way. And yeah, so Coco Goff, she won the U.S. Open. She beat maybe my favorite tennis player overall, Arena Sabalenka. Andre the Giant. Oh, who uh, again, she looks a lot like Andy Roddick and or Stifler from American Pie. But she's also so pretty. You know who else is pretty? Andy Roddick and Stifler from American Pie. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's no butt in there, Adam. Yeah. Except they're pretty little butts. And Coco Goff beat her in, to win the U.S. Open. And the thing about Arena Sabalenka, she, no matter how that final ended, was going to become the number one player in the world the following Monday. And that happened because the way tennis rankings work, you don't have to win every championship. It's like a it's point. points. like NASCAR. Yeah, it's just like NASCAR. And... So Coco Goff beat like two number one players with a wrench in this recent run. What? You're like, he beat two number one players with a wrench. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And she won in tennis. And yeah. So good for Coco Goff. This is, this is a good thing. American tennis needs this. I would also like to add too that you cannot, and and we, we, you know, you say you can't talk to Coco Goff without bringing up the Williamses, but there is something to be said about, the impact that the Williams sisters had on young black Americans picking up a tennis racket. It is not the most expensive sport to learn. And you are creating these wonderful athletes out of, you know, heroes in the same way that, you know, it was, I want to be like Mike in the eighties and nineties. And now, you know, Coco Goff is whether, you know, you want to admit it or not a byproduct of the Williams sisters success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And even on the men's side, like Francis Tiafo and Ben Shelton are both African-American yeah. players. Look at what Tiger Woods did to golf Yeah, in the 90s. Like the resurgence of golf in the 90s was insane. And there's two reasons. Tiger Woods, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's not a joke. I mean, it's a joke, but obvi- but that's 100% true. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Coco Goff is having a similar effect herself on tennis. Like, people are excited about it now. Between that and those three American men making the quarterfinals, like, there's finally some interest around American tennis again. And I'm all for that because, goddamn, I love some tennis. Oof. You do like your tennis. Did I text you the picture of NFL opening day? I, uh, my, my viewing. Oh, yeah, I saw you posted it, right? Well, no, tennis that, was on the big screen and football was on the little screen. Yeah, that was earlier. But I decided on NFL opening day that having just a computer screen wasn't going to be sufficient. 
So I hauled the, the huge flat screen that we have in our bedroom downstairs and put that next to our other TV. And I had the U.S. Open finals on one and f- at one point four NFL games on the other. I adore how chill your wife is. Well, here's the thing about my wife. She also loves tennis. Like I now rely on her to tell me when matches are starting. Like we went to the U S open last year and she knew nothing about tennis. And I just like explained how the scoring works. And she is a huge fan ever since. Hell yeah. And yeah, I was her favorite player. Novak Djokovic. (laughs) No, but she does appreciate the way Djokovic moves on the court. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's because he doesn't have all that, all them government enforced vaccines going through his body. Yeah, I don't think that was ever Djokovic's stance on it. He's just like one of those Tom Brady types, like he's a super duper alternative health type. I don't think he was ever like COVID is fake and this is a government plot. No, he's just like, I don't even eat anything red. You want me to put a vaccine in my body? But whatever the case, Novak Djokovic also won the U.S. Open. On the men's side, it is his 24th major title, which ties him with Margaret Court. And here's the thing. I know Novak Djokovic is not the hero we want, but we definitely want Margaret Court's name replaced when it comes to the most accomplished tennis player of all time. Because Margaret Court is kind of a racist and kind of a homophobe. Huh. And I've brought that up before without ever getting into specifics. So let's get into some specifics. We'll link to this article. It's from 2017 is when the controversy around her really started. And for the record, Margaret Court, she also won 24 major titles. She was an Australian women's player. And in 2017, she said the following things. I mean, tennis is full of lesbians because even when I was playing, there was only a couple there but those couple that led took young ones into parties and things. And then she followed that up with, that's all the devil. But that's what Hitler did. And that's what communism did. Got the mind of the children. And there's a whole plot in our nation, in the nations of the world, to get the minds of the children. That was her talking about transgender children. Oh, fun. Yeah, good times. Uh, she also said this in January 2017, banner year for her. You stand with values for family and different things, so you're a voice, and then you go get persecuted for that. You're not hating the people. You love the people, but you get taken that way. And I say marriage is between a man and a woman. Oh, good finish there. She also, in January 2016, said women's tennis is boring, which, fuck you. No, it's not. Nothing's going to be as exciting as watching the inauguration she was probably glued to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, uh... Then there's this, which is from 1970, but still, it's a doozy of a quote. South Africans have this thing better organized than any other country, particularly America. I love South Africa. I'll go back there anytime. She was talking about apartheid. Yeah. Was she cocky about any of her records? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She also, in regards to someone maybe beating her 24 major titles someday, This was in regards to Serena Williams. If she beats my Grand Slam singles record, she deserves it. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Nobody will ever hit my 62. She won 62 singles, doubles, and Grand Slam titles. 
in general. Will anybody ever hit that 62? I don't know. I'm looking up Djokovic's titles now because I know he's won a shit ton of just regular ass titles beyond majors. He's probably going to have the best shot at it. But he's he's a man. She doesn't like women's tennis. Oh, yeah, that's true. And like maybe Coco Golf. Coco Golf is very young. Like she's 19, provided she stays healthy. I And avoid South Africa. Yeah. I could see her maybe doing it. I could see, I don't know, Carlos Alcaraz maybe. He's super duper young too. Djokovic, let me add this up. Regardless, Margaret Court's a huge piece of shit. And getting her out of the record books, it would be like kind of squeezing Ty Cobb out of baseball's memory. Yeah. Where you're like, man, they were calling you racist in the 20s. It is also fun to remind each other of just how racist Australians can be. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very much a thing. So, yeah, Djokovic, he's now tied with Margaret Court. And I'm going to be honest, of the two, I would rather Djokovic have it than Margaret Court. Yeah, he's not, like, actively being a racist. No. He's got some unfortunate views on a war that's happening uh, that involves his country right now. But, like... What foreign player doesn't have unfortunate leanings when it comes to war? Yeah, you kind of don't want to ask a foreign player what their thoughts are when they're involved in a war. Yeah. Yeah. That's, How do you feel about the killing of innocent people? Well, they are doing, you know, what is necessary. Yeah. Well, not just that, but like there was this uproar around Arena Sabalenka at a bunch of tournaments this year because there's a player, is it Svitolina, I believe, who is from Svetlana? <laughs> uh, Svitolina, she's from, is that who I'm thinking of? Or is it Kvitova? That's the Ukraine thing, right? Where they like yeah. refuse to shake hands. Yeah. She is a Ukrainian player who will not shake hands with Russian players unless they have vehemently spoken out against the war in Ukraine. And Arina Sabalenka is from Belarus, which is the other country that invaded Ukraine along with Russia. And like on the one hand, People are up in arms because she hasn't said enough about the war, but she has come out and said, of course, I don't support the war. None of us support the war, but also like how much talking do you want Arena Sabalenka to do before she goes back home to Belarus and has to deal with that fucking government? Yeah. Well, hey, where's her family live? Yeah, exactly. Like she lives in Miami, but I guarantee she's got a shit ton of family still in Belarus. And like, that's a lot to ask of someone to be like, yeah, I'll put my family at risk. Maybe we should stop asking these questions. Yeah, that that would be. Of these young athletes from foreign countries. Yeah, but back to Djokovic. He is great at tennis. He's, I mean, he's probably the best male tennis player of all time. But Wow. Yeah, but is he going to get someone like Bridget Wilson the way Pete Sampras did? Oh, his wife looks like a young Rose Byrne. She's quite pretty. So he did all right in that way. Look her up now. But he's also so fucking awkward. Like there was a tournament a few months ago where he and this former tennis player named James Blake, who is black, apparently went out for a night on the town and did like some karaoke and stuff. And Djokovic in all of these interviews kept bringing up that karaoke night and he kept going, oh, my man, Snoop Dogg. Dr. Dre, and he was like doing the fucking hand motion, like Robin he, Williams making fun of rappers in the 80s. Like, 
Oh, he was doing, he was being Adrian Brody on that SNL thing that got him banned when he brought Sean Paul up while wearing a, a, a Jamaican hat with fake dreadlocks hanging off. And he's like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and that got him full on banned from Saturday Night Live. As if they didn't know he was going to do that. Come on. <laughs> they said it like nobody knew that was happening. <laughs> like he legit like found this thing from props and decided to do it unprompted. And Lorne Michaels is Lorne Michaels does famously does not like improv in any way. <laughs> so he was like, you're fucking gone. You're yeah. like, you're never coming back. No. And in this time, Djokovic, after he won his 24th title, he left the court and came back wearing a shirt that said Mamba forever and had a picture of him and Kobe Bryant. And it's like, I feel like you and Kobe Bryant probably weren't that close, <laughs> but he paid tribute to Kobe Bryant after winning his 24th title. Number 24, baby. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about another sports story, Jeff. Time time to lift up the stories. Yeah. Let's talk about the youth in another way when it comes to sports. Wander Franco. Buddy. Formerly the top prospect in baseball. He was in the midst of a another breakout season. He had a breakout, a breakout season. career. Yeah. Honestly, was- like... He had the sort of future of being Florida's greatest franchise player of all time. Not Flo- not my um, Tampa, right? Yeah. So, like, who did Tampa have before that? Evan Longoria? And they got rid of him. Right. Like, Wander Franco was poised to be, like, the greatest Ray of all time. Yeah, he's a really fun player. He reminds me a bit of Javi Baez in that way. Like, he'll do... Like the, the really famous Wander Franco clip is him fielding a ground ball. And before he throws it to first, he like tosses it in the air and catches it and then throws it. To and put it in the right position or something. Yeah, I That's think he fun. just did it to show off. Like he was just being flashy. And people took to all that kind of stuff. But then on August 22nd, it was announced that Major League Baseball was putting Wander Franco on, quote, administrative leave until further notice. And that stems from some social media posts that went around a few days before that. Ooh. That alleged that Wander Franco had a 14-year-old girlfriend. I was like, 14-year-old? Girlfriend. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, oh, wow, he's got like a kid that he never talked about? That Oh, no, that kid is his, his lady. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, wait, it's fine. He's like, what, 17? No, 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 no. He's 22. So I got to tell you, the social media defenses that are coming out to him, you know, a lot of people invested in this kid. Oh, yeah. Like financially, because they're like, ah, you know, these are just accusations. So I get kind of a lot of them. And then they're like, that's 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 normal in areas where he's from. (laughs) No, it's not. Yeah. It's like, first off. Yeah, that's that's people being. A little fucking racist. A lot of libertarian baseball card collectors, apparently. Yeah. And after this first social media post went around, Wander Franco got on his Instagram live and said this. This is a translation. They say that I'm in public with a little girl, that I'm running around with a minor. People don't know what to do with their time. They don't know what they're talking about. That's why I prefer to be on my side and not get involved with anybody. And the very next day... The attorney general of the Dominican Republic announced that a complaint had been filed against Franco by a minor. And the important detail there 
that a lot of people who are defending Wander Franco are missing is that the girl in the social media posts and the girl in that first complaint, different, different girls. Because the girl in the social media posts apparently had a bunch of videos and pictures of her on her Instagram, like drinking. She apparently has a child that people feel is too old to be the child of a 14-year-old. So there's all these people, whenever you see a social media post about Wanda Franco, they're like, um, she's not actually 14. And it's like, okay, fuck face. What about the other two minors who have also yeah. filed complaints? Also, if, if like, and like, I've, I've been seeing this a lot in like, sort, sort of like I joined some sports card Facebook groups and there's a lot of guys that are like, look, man, if he did it, you know, send him to jail, but, and then they go on this like big long spiel. And I'm like, Hey, maybe we just leave the word, but out of like potential diddler stuff. Yeah. What? Like maybe we just don't do the butt part and we just say, yeah, if what he, if it's true, he should be fucking straight in prison. Yeah. Period. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking to the idea that, oh, well, this is just normal where Wander Franco comes from. These complaints are being investigated by an organization in the Dominican Republic called the National Agency for Boys, Girls, Adolescents, and Family and Gender Violence Unit. So- the Dominican Republic clearly does not look upon this favorably. Like it is not a thing that's just cool in that country. So people are wrong about that also. And like, I think Wander Franco is just not going to play in the majors. anymore. I can't imagine a recovery from that. Yeah. Like, his, his only option is going to be the, is it Trevor Bauer? Is that the Dodgers pitcher who like choked a woman? And uh, I don't think it was, Bauer, I forget who it was, but it was, it's a whole last thing, man. Like you would have to like counter sue for death for like defamation or something like that. Like there, there would have to be some form of vindication that you would have, but like, it doesn't look like that's happening. No, God, I keep trying to Google Dodgers pitcher domestic violence. And it just keeps giving me other Dodgers pitchers who've been (laughs) accused of domestic violence, but not just like their fans. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, it was Trevor Bauer. It was Trevor Bauer? Yeah. There we go. Trevor Bauer released by Dodgers. The recent one was Julio Urias, right? Yeah, Julio Urias is the other name that kept coming up. But yeah, Trevor Bauer, he was released by the Dodgers after sexual assault claims. And now he plays in Japan, I believe, which that's probably what will end up being Wander Franco's fate also, is he'll just have to play baseball for a little less money in a different country which uh he's already playing baseball in a different country he's from the dominican republic so i don't know if you want wander franco in a country with all those girls dressed like schoolgirls. yeah probably not but let's keep him let's get a leash on that guy but they'll take him they'll like he'll end up somewhere but and like in nippon or something like that yeah yeah i can't see him playing in the majors anymore which good you don't deserve it yeah you're out because of the because of the race because of the Sex yeah, with minors. Sex, yeah. sex stuff, yeah. All right. Let's talk about a story that has me very conflicted. Aaron Rodgers' stint with the Jets ended very quickly. I have no conflict to this. Like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I do feel a little bad for Aaron Rodgers. Like, I know, nope. like, I, I know we're supposed to be, like, fundamentalist when it comes to the people we disagree with, unless they, like, sell a product we still want to buy or something like that. But... As much as I want Aaron Rodgers to fail, I didn't want it to happen like this. 
Like I wanted it to be a long drawn out thing like where he just embarrassment thing. Yeah. yeah. Where he does what he does and carries his team to an inevitable second round exit in the playoffs. That's what I wanted. If for no other reason than what it would have done for the value of the pile of Garrett Wilson rookie cards I'm sitting on right now, which <laughs> those are probably going to have to marinate for another season after this. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers played four snaps in his first game, like not even a full possession and tore his Achilles. Buddy, this is how you make a Tom Brady. Get an older veteran, have him screw up in the beginning of the season, and then you bring in some second string dipshit to come in and just fucking start throwing aces. The problem there is the second string dipshit is a former number two overall pick named Zach Wilson, who they were kind of hoping would sit the bench behind Aaron Rodgers a couple years and like learn from that experience. Like Aaron Rodgers did sitting on the bench behind Brett Favre for four seasons at the beginning of his career. All he, all he learned from Brett Favre was how to blow it in the playoffs, leave the Packers and then destroy the jets and hate woke from within. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, Zach Wilson, like this is, it happened on 9-11, and it is essentially the next 9-11 for the NFL. Yeah. They had so much invested in Aaron Rodgers. Another jet down in New York, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? And, yeah, he's he's out it, for the season now. It seems to be that the big fight on this, this happened on turf, right? Yeah. That this seems to be the big thing that NFL players are commenting on now which is that turf needs to go away yeah that it is essentially an injury factory and stadiums that have turf are destroying the people that play on them yeah i just don't know how true that is like this is one injury like yeah but but that's not it's not just one injury it's if you look at the consistency of injuries on turf and like players like here's the thing I'm going to listen to the players on that when they're like, I don't want to play on turf. It's more dangerous. The injuries come faster. You have a, a, you know, the footing is different. It's just bad. Like in that regard, I am going to listen to the players. But you get the same complaints about grass from the players too. Like I, I can see it going both ways because grass is great when it's in ideal shape. But then what happens when it starts raining? And they don't necessarily take care of the grass the way they should. Like Soldier Field, where the Bears play, is notorious for having grass, but also like the worst grass. Yeah. So, I mean, it could go either way. Like I, that turf, if nothing else, I, I feel like maybe gives people cancer. Like I was more, I was more yeah, alarmed. Yeah, we've done an episode about that, right? Yeah, a long time ago. Because there were all these female high school soccer players who were getting cancer. And they suspected maybe it was from these this turf because the thing that alarmed me about it was there were two games in a row back on back-to-back days in MetLife Stadium. And I kept seeing all these players who would come up from being hit and they had all these like little black pellets. The little black rubber pellets, yeah. On their face. And that's because that turf, part of it is just like ground up old tires. And it's yeah. like, who knows what's in that shit? Yeah. Like turf, I agree turf should go away. I just don't know if it's like the the main culprit 
here. I mean, the play, I mean, obviously Soldier Field is a unique experience in that it becomes a goddamn fucking slick track every time it rains. Yeah. Which, you know, fucking fix it, I guess. But like historically turf, I think has a much higher injury rate. Um, yeah, maybe like I haven't, capita. I haven't seen any numbers about, yeah, there, there were tweets. I think I forget who the former teammate of Rogers was, but he did a tweet that was like, we've been begging you people to stop having turf. This is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like I, again, I agree. I just don't, I don't know if that like Aaron Rodgers also just like stepped down very weird when he took that hit, but either way, his season is fucking over. So I just Googled it and 47 minutes ago from the sporting news. Additionally, Treader's data said that players have a 32% higher chance of suffering a non-contact knee injury on turf and a 69% chance of suffering a non-contact foot or ankle injury. Oh, okay. I mean, this wasn't a non-contact injury though. But, but yes, but it is indicative of placement and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things the NFL needs to fix. Uh, they should start playing on grass. They should play all sports on grass. Yeah. And again, playing nice new season of grassketball. Yeah. And like the thing about football is, yeah, maybe get rid of turf, but that's not going to make football safe. Like, Football's not safe. It's nothing never going to make football safe. And there's never going to be anything that like eliminates injuries. Like even concussions were back up last year after all the steps the NFL has Welcome taken. Back, baby. Yeah. After everything the NFL's done to address that problem, concussions just shot right back up last year. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, I feel bad for the team. Like, it's the Jets are such a promising young team. They have a stout defense. They got a lot of young stars on offense. They just signed Dalvin Cook. Like, this really did feel like it might be the Jets' year. And then... Nah, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Whoopsie. Whoops. You think he'll retire? I don't. I hope so. I don't think he will. I don't think he should. He will. If nothing else, that would really fuck the Jets over because they were counting on him as at least a two-year. I love how much money they spent on him. It's It's so funny. The Jets are just like, oh, he aged out of his current place? Fucking come on over here and destroy our franchise. Yeah, the Jets have a history of that. They did the same thing with Brett Favre. They do that all the time. What was the last, like, regular quarterback they had? Ooh. Fucking Testa Verde. Like, it's like. No, well, no, this same thing happened with, like, this exact thing happened with Testa Verde. They signed him <laughs> after the 98 season, and they were like, we're going to the Super Bowl. And motherfucker tore his Achilles in the first game. It's like, Jets, no, you're not. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Maybe Chad Pennington? Was he the yeah, last? Yeah, it might have been Chad Pennington, but he didn't last as long as anybody had hoped. Yeah, he ended up, like, fucking off to Miami after a while, I think, too. Sure did. But, yeah, Neil O'Donnell? Was that that guy's name? Who did the, the Snickers commercial where he was like, I'm Batman. Like, now that I think about it, he might have played for Pittsburgh. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Who knows? That was a fun commercial. you remember that commercial? He took a really bad yeah, hit. I'm Batman. No, I'm Batman. <laughs> They ask him his name. I'm Batman. That's a concussion joke. Yeah, concussions are indisputably funny. Yes, I think we can all agree. That's why they're here. All right, let's talk about this next story. The U.S. men's basketball team 
fucking ate ass at the FIBA World Cup this year. And not in the cool way. In the But also probably the cool way. Probably lots of in the cool way, but also not in the cool way. We are officially back in redeem team territory when it comes to men's national basketball. We went to the FIBA World Cup, which is an important event in the lead up to the Olympics, and we got our asses handed to us by USA. by among others, fucking Canada. Jesus, what is it, like six Steve Nashes? Well, one player I didn't know was Canadian is Dylan Brooks from the oh. Memphis Grizzlies. He was like the star player on the Canadian team. He's a Vancouver Grizzly. And they sent us home in the bronze medal round. Canada won the bronze medal. Their first medal at the FIBA World Cup in 87 years. That's a long time. But this is the dream team effect. Like the dream team, that initial dream team, Jordan, Bird, Barkley, Patrick Ewing, they made basketball a global sport. And now a lot of other countries take basketball arguably more seriously than we do. And so you have like some of the best NBA players right now are foreign players. Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Victor Wembanyama, on and on and on. These are all players who came from Europe and when events like this happen, they go represent their home country in yeah. these events. It's going to be hard to go up again, you know. Yeah, yeah, like when the dream team was at it, they'd maybe run into like what, a Drazen Petrovic or something? Yeah, what, what you need to find is you need to go to a place where there's like an occasional nuclear fallout. So you get these mutant babies showing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like an, an extra eye and they're all seven foot three. <laughs> and yeah, now when our teams go out, they have to face players like fucking Luka Doncic, which that's a whole different thing. That guy is a fascinating study in human beings. Yeah. Because you're like, wow, this... This goofy slogan. Oh my God! What did he just do? No, you're you're thinking of Nikola Jokic. I'm thinking Jokic. Never yeah. mind. Which you are correct though. Jokic, like the way Stephen A. Smith describes it, is he's slow. He can't jump from the street to the curb, and he is unstoppable. Which is true. Like it's unexplainable why Jokic is as good as he is. But Doncic, Luka Doncic is 22 and has been playing professional basketball for like. Yeah, Eight years, I think. Like, <laughs> right. Like he's been playing a long time in his home country as a pro before he got yeah. here. So now all the big boys yeah, are like, nah. Like LeBron's like, I'm getting the team back together. And it's like, you are 40. Yeah, that's the thing. LeBron is determined to play in the 2024 Olympics. And he's gotten commitments apparently so far from Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Jason Tatum and Draymond Green. And it's also been said that separately, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, De'Aaron Fox, and Kyrie Irving are also all interested. And Kyrie afraid he's going to fall off the face of the earth if he goes too far for the Olympics. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. Maybe that's the only reason he wants to go. He wants to see if that's where the edge is. And like, yeah, they're all old. Like a lot of those names are players who are getting up there in years, but I'm still, I'm still in. Like I'm, I'm very much in for this. Like I want this sure, yeah, to like, happen. Like, yeah. See the old Avengers show up and it would be a really cool way for LeBron to end his career. I would think like, I don't know that he's going to win LeBron's LeBron's <laughs> LeBron's medal. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to win another title with the Lakers. 
you know the New York Post is just salivating at the idea of them winning bronze. Well, that so happened. Have, Didn't that happen um, already with LeBron on the team? Did it? Yeah, they was I, he on that team. Yeah, I think there was a national team that won the LeBron's medal. No, so then LeBron's. Yeah, there it is. Okay, well, yeah, but I guess they don't even like sports. And like I like I know I'm supposed to be skeptical over this, but I'm not. I, I fucking love watching the Olympics. Yes, I know they're bad. Uh, they are undeniably bad. But also some of the most progressive people I know fucking love the World Cup. So <laughs> pick your poison, everybody. And yeah, I, I want to see this happen. I want I want to see LeBron yeah. win another gold medal. I also love that there's that recent quote that came up with Charles Barkley where it's like, who cares if we don't win? That just means basketball is getting more popular across the world. Well, yeah, the not just that, but in the quote, he was like, I wouldn't be mad if one of these third world countries won. And then he brings up France as the example. Yeah. Imagine a France one. It's like, bro, <laughs> that is the furthest thing from it. He's like, imagine some third world country like Norway. <laughs> the quality of life is better than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last story. Deion Sanders. He is taking the football coaching world by storm. Neon Dion. Very rare that a Hall of Fame player also becomes an incredible coach. Yes. It's usually bench players that learn how to coach while they're riding pine. Yeah. They tend to be the ones that are exceptional coaches. Or like role players who weren't necessarily huge stars. Like the Reds the Red Sox have had consistent victory with utility players. Yeah. Alex Cora was our every infielder that existed. And then Terry Francota for for Cleveland. That's all he was was just a fucking bench warming utility guy. I mean, the coach, David Roberts, the, the coach that people argue might be the best coach in the NBA right now is Ty Lue, who as a player is best known for being the guy Allen Iverson stepped over in that famous clip of him stepping over a motherfucker who fell after he hit a three pointer. Like Derek Fisher also had yeah. a good run as a coach. I mean, Nate with McMillan. basketball, I guess you're seeing the mapping out in real time a little differently than like a bigger picture the way baseball for yeah. example, might be, I get that. But like, yeah, you really have to be paying attention to the coaching aspect of it to really see how it's going on. And it is fascinating. Yeah. Like it is genuinely fascinating to see who, like when you look at David Roberts for the Dodgers, yeah. right? He got them a championship. He got the Red Sox a championship by being a pinch runner. Yeah. Yeah. Like by being, that was our speedy guy. And like, he came off the bench to steal a base yeah, that's all that that's all that mattered. And he became a fucking hero in Boston. That dude will never pay for a drink or a meal in Boston ever again. I'm trying to think of any like true Hall of Fame players who went on to be good coaches. The only one who's coming to mind is Frank Robinson. He was a manager yeah, for or a like, long time. Yeah, Dusty Baker wasn't good enough, huh? Pete Rose. Like Pete. <laughs> hall of fame <laughs> yeah he's not really a hall he of rose might be but left coaching in a scandal yeah he sure did and he was like he was like slap shotting it where he was like a playing coach at one point in time right yeah he was a player he was manager. the last he was the last of the player managers right i think so yeah yeah it is very rare that a player that is that highlighted i mean if you remember Deion sanders when he went to dallas he made 35 million at a time when nobody else did. And he was a two-way player. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And what's crazy is he might turn out to be even better as a head coach. 
Like, Get out of here. He was, he's apparently been working his way up through the ranks. He, his first coaching job was literally in peewee league. And what I feel like is happening is he's moving up as his son moves up through football. Do you remember when he broke his son down for the pink box, the pink donut box? He's like, if it ain't ghetto, it ain't whatever. And he's like, you're a Huxtable with a trust fund. What ghetto have you ever heard of in your life? (laughs) That was very funny. Calling him a Huxtable with a trust fund. And the kid was like 14. Imagine having your dad just body you at 14. But I mean, your dad's Deion Sanders. You got to sort of see it coming. That guy's got a lot of personality. I fucking love Deion Deion. Sanders. He's great. Yeah. Deion Sanders. Like, do you ever see the uh, Deion's double play um, mm -mm. documentary about Uh, when he played in the world series and 30 for 30? Yeah. 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 Deion Sanders, I I feel like is kind of just trying to like coach his son all the way up to the NFL. His son is now the quarterback at Colorado University. And so let's backtrack a little bit. Deion Sanders, he's been working his way up in coaching. He did a bunch of high school coaching jobs. And then a few years ago, got the head coaching job at Jackson State University, which is a historically black college and university An HBCU yes. and immediately raised the profile of HBCUs in general. Yeah. One of it's them, like a, people thought it was like a stunt casting. They thought it was like a stunt situation. Right. And the thing people weren't taking into account when it comes to Deion Sanders as a head coach is people fucking love Deion Sanders. Like, Athletes love Deion Sanders. Not only do people love Deion Sanders, but also he's a, he knows the sport. Like, yes, he's good. Like it's not, he's likable. He's affable, but he's also one of the best two way players who ever lived. One of the fastest people who ever played the game. Like he's insane. He is a defensive player who has a very well-known touchdown dance. Like he played defense, but scored enough touchdowns that people know his fucking dance to this day. His kid did it in one of their games recently, which, oh, I was like, oh, that's cute. That is adorable. Well, he was also a receiver, though. Did he play? He was defensive. Yeah, he was two way on Dallas. Do you remember that commercial where they're like, they were like, uh, so what do you want to do? Offense, defense? And he goes, both. It's him and Jerry Jones. And then he's like, so what do you think? uh, 17, 18 million? And then he just goes, both. <laughs> Great commercial. But yeah. yeah, he was a two-way player. He maybe shouldn't have been. That, that I think, probably it, contributed to him. I mean, he had a pretty long career. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it, it might have shortened his career by like a season. Yeah. But, I mean, I'd rather take one less season and the, it's like Otani, you know, Shohei Otani, where it's like, you know, if he wasn't pitching, he'd have, he'd be lasting a lot longer. It's like, yeah, but he doesn't want that. He wants the legacy of being the greatest two-way player of all time. Yeah. But Otani's going to have, he's going to have to cut back on his pitching. Like he's about to have Tommy John surgery. I think again, second time. Yeah. Yeah. Which if Otani wants to be a two-way player, he should be a relief pitcher. Like he would be a dominant closer. Closer. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't but see that him. being said, that means he's pitching a, like closing means you're being pulled in a lot more. You're just yeah. not doing these long stints. Yeah. And yeah, Deion Sanders, he did play some wide receiver 
but he was primarily a cornerback and a kick returner. That's where a lot of his touchdowns came from also. And like players love him. So that was a thing people weren't taking into account when he took this Jackson State job. And one of the things he did almost immediately that caught people off guard, he flipped a recruit, this guy named Travis Hunter, who was the number one overall recruit in the 2022 class. He had committed to play for Florida State, which is Deion Sanders' alma mater. And Deion Sanders swooped in and was like, how about Jackson State instead? And Travis Hunter was like, sure, you're Deion Sanders. Of course I want to come play for you. Of course I will. And Travis Hunter now plays for Colorado University. He took Travis Hunter with him when he made that switch. And while he was at Jackson State, all he did was win a Southwestern Athletic Conference Championship. Is that all? Posted a team record of 11 wins in 2021. They had never won that many games in a season. And his work there got him this job at Colorado. And people were mad about this, too. They were mad that he left Jackson State as fast as he did. Yeah, that that became... I know there was a lot of racial undertones from yeah. leaving a historically black college and university to go to Colorado. Yeah. Which is, you know, I mean... Uh, just a shade whiter in your Vermont. Right. But it's also like what coaches do. Like, yeah, if you get a better opportunity, you're going to take it. Yeah. How much of your job has to be for the culture? I understand. I, and I also understand that we come from the point of privilege in that, you know, if somebody was a coach at a historically white university, we'd be like, well, that shouldn't even be a university. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like, it can't just be Deion Sanders. Like, what Deion Sanders is doing, like, yes, raising the visibility of HBCUs in terms of competing in sports, that's important. But also, there are barriers that need to be broken at every level of football coaching when it comes to black head coaches, especially in the NFL. The NFL fucking instituted the Rooney Rule like 20 years ago, and I think there are still fewer black head coaches now than there were when the Rooney rule was put in place. Mm -hmm. So yes, Deion Sanders, you know, did a lot for HBCUs in that way, but he has the potential to do a lot for just black head coaches in general. And I mean, it's hard to be mad at him for that. No, it's also hard. If somebody's like wants to move forward with their career, what do you do? Like, yeah, you can't hold them back just because, you liked that they were at a place morally. Right. Like, like let the man, cause like he's eventually going to go to the NFL. That's he clear. Sure yeah. And the thing about Colorado, it's the perfect job for him because if any program is going to prove that he's a qualified head coach, it's fucking Colorado. They haven't won shit in years. They were one and 11 last year. They are the worst. Like the lions of college. Yeah. And Deion Sanders came in. The first thing he did was like completely revamp the roster. Like he replaced most of the team basically through the transfer portal, which again speaks to how magnetic of a personality he is, that he was just able to build a new team almost overnight. He's very likable. He is. And then... I mean, we're only two games into the season, but so far Colorado in their opener played TCU 
TCU was the runner-up in the National Turner Championship. Turner Classic University, for yeah. those that don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were the runner-up in the National Championship last year. And people were like, okay, well, here's where Deion Sanders gets smoked in the first game of the season. Nope, they beat TCU. Shocking upset. And then the next week, they beat Nebraska, their hated rival who they have not beat in like 20 years. The Huskers. And Deion Sanders did this with a completely revamped roster that he handpicked. I would like to say that I don't love the idea that it's like a revamped roster for football. Cause I'm like, well, what about those kids that were trying to get an education while they were playing football? <laughs> like, like what mean, about those kids? Are they screwed? They'll, I mean, they might be, but they'll just end up at another school. Like the transfer portal exists for them too. Like if they were good enough to be recruited by Colorado, another team will take them. Like, it's not like he's, yeah. but also at That's the same the time, weird part about college football that I actually really don't like is that they treat it like professional football, like trading and like, like not trading specifically, but that like transferable player thing. It, it weirds me out. Well, it's good for the players though, because if you're a player who ends up at like, sure, fair at a school where you're not going to get an opportunity to play. Like that's what Russell Wilson did. He, yeah, I mean, that's not, it's not paying off now, but. Speaking of Colorado and yeah, drastically changing somebody's winning percentage. But Russell Wilson was playing at either Stanford or South Carolina. I want to say Stanford, but either way, he wasn't like getting the time he thought he deserved and he just fucking transferred to Wisconsin and then ended up having a lot of success there and made the NFL. What's interesting is Nebraska also just hired a very high-profile new head coach, a guy named Matt Rule, who played in the NFL. He's got a lot of coaching experience, and he is the guy that Nebraska is looking to to turn shit around. And he came in completely opposite from Deion Sanders. He came in and was like, we got a good foundation here, not the best players, but give it a few years and it'll work out. And meanwhile, Deion Sanders comes in and is like, fuck this. We have the wrong players. We need better players. And he gets those better players. And what happens when he faces off against Matt Rule in that first matchup? Fucking he rules. wrecks him. He rules Matt. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess there is something to be said about the celebrity aspect of it, too. Whereas, like, if you're a kid on a football team, right, and fucking Deion Sanders calls you, yeah. Odds are he's played your position. Like, like yeah. Odds, odds are you looked up to him as a kid and he'd be like, Hey man, why don't you come on to the team? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I'll go to fucking Colorado. How cold yeah. in the, in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And so now the talk is, well, Deion Sanders is probably going to end up coaching in the NFL. Skip Bayless, who I hate with the intensity of a million burning suns thinks Deion Sanders will end up as the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, which I could absolutely see. I think Jerry Jones would want that. Jerry Jones would want it. The coach they have now is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, my my cool friend and former student, Sean McCune. Does he still play for the Cowboys? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The, I could see him ending up there and there's a little quirk to it in that his contract he signed with Colorado is a five-year contract. And I saw an article making a big deal out of the fact that, well, if he leaves Colorado, he's going to owe them $15 million. 
It's like, no, Jerry Jones will owe them $15 million. And he probably has a $15 million coin minted somewhere. Yeah. yeah. He's like, how do you guys want it cash or what? Venmo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I cash app that to you? <laughs> yeah. There's no way. Whatever team wants yeah. Deion He's going to pay them in paintings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want this yacht? The one I did the draft from during COVID? Like whatever team wants him, they're going to buy out that contract. Yeah, for sure. It's like $3 million per year of a contract. Yeah. That's liter- That's nothing for Jerry Jones. It is that man makes more money than anybody else. Like he makes so much money. In the, I guess the risk you'd be facing if you're Colorado is, well, let's say Deion Sanders just does a bang up job this year and we like make it to the playoffs or something like the national playoff. And then he leaves. Are those kids he brought going to stay or will they just go? Well, I mean, if they have a good system in place, yeah, you know, like set the system up. And when you leave, like think about, uh, and if we want to go back to football coaching and we look back, think about the branching off of Bill Parcells. Yeah. And like, if you have somebody successful that surrounds themselves with successful people, they will rise to that occasion. And when you look at like the Parcells disciples and where they ended up, you know, yeah, it's going to be pretty considerable. Yeah. I do hope Deion Sanders ends up coaching in the NFL. Like I want I want to see that. I want to see if he can have this kind of impact on a pro team. Cause he's like what he's doing in college. It's he's sort of like the GM of that team also like the yeah. way he constructed that roster on his own. Like there's no reason he couldn't replicate that in the NFL. Like he's clearly got a really good mind for football and yeah. I mean, he's a cornerback. Like I know, yeah. like I know, like, but when you look at like with the mind for football and it tends to be like, you know, defensive players who have to know how to read stuff and quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, this is a, it's an exciting time for sports right now. Yeah. There's lots well, of, well, <laughs> exciting for sure. Um, some, some things are exciting in negative ways. Yeah. Some stories are better than others. That's for We're sure. We're looking at you and your wandering eye, Mr. Franco. <laughs> Oh, we didn't even mention the Wander Franco youth invasion card. Oh, that's like the only one that went up in value. Yeah, that went around shortly after that story broke. One of Wander Franco's early rookie cards uh, says youth invasion on it. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy knows about invading some youths. Yikes. So I think that's our episode, right? This was a long one. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a soda. We did it. Jeff, thank you so much for being my co-host on this podcast, even though I hate you. I love it to be here, even though uh, you hate sports. Um, No, you do. No, that's not true. I am very happy to be here. Of course. I I love that. We're getting this back on, back on the road, back on the, the skippy back on the skippy. What the fuck are you talking about, Jeff? I don't know. I'm just trying to see. Does that work? Is that a new, Mm -mm. we're back on the skippy. Nope. It's going to be our new. No, don't be aware. You don't even like sports. We are back on the skippy here today. (laughs) Wrong. Fuck. Uh, what do we have to plug before we get out of here? Uh, patreon.com slash unpops. Once again, the Andre Agassi season will be in full swing soon. And you can hear those episodes as we record them. If you're a subscriber, otherwise you got some waiting on your hands, but you don't want to wait for that. You don't want to wait for Andre to be over her before we upload him to the free feed. So you can hear him. Let me tell you the research so far, fucking crazy. Every, yeah. Everyone should read Andre Agassi's book. It 
has to be one of the best written sports books of all time. And it, it, sports book. it makes lists along those lines. It's really well written. And I'm sure he had help, but God damn that dude. You know who helped write that? Jose Canseco. <laughs> Weird. They were both on a ton of steroids. So yeah, subscribe and you can hear the Andre Agassi season before the rest of the world. Or don't and just keep listening for free. We love you all the same. Jeff, what do you got to plug? Uh, Patreon.com slash Jeff May gets you early access to uncensored episodes with bonus content of shows like Jeff Has Cool Friends, as well as the exclusive Ugg Fine with Kim Crawl. And you get earlier access to Nerd with Dre Alvarez and myself. Um, So that's very exciting. How cool is that? Um, On top of that, too, we have um, uh, Tom and Jeff Watch Batman and the Game Flan Employed. We just finished The Flash with special guest Adam Todd Brown. Who? Um, oh, I know me. that's me. Uh, you can, uh, add Hey there, Jeff Rowe on YouTube and Instagram. If you want to see me do, um, I must break you. And I then don't. of course, Adam and I do our sister show. You don't even like sports cards, uh, where we, we open packs of trading cards. No, we don't love you. Bye. Hey, goodbye everybody. We love you.